0: You're listening to the Good News in the Dark World podcast. Join us as we study God's Word and discover Jesus on every page. Here's Pastor Kevin. of Matthew chapter 5. We are in the middle of a series of contrasts between the rabbi's inadequate understanding and application of the law of God and Jesus' explanation of the true depth and the meaning of the law of God. And so far we've looked at at three of these contrasts. There are six of them in this passage. We've looked at three. We've looked at murder and adultery and divorce. And this morning we want to see what the law of God has to say about oaths or making vows. Matthew 5, beginning at verse 33. Jesus says again, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Last Sunday night, as we were uh, looking at 2 Samuel 7, I mentioned to you that we live in a world of broken promises. Uh, There is even a well-known saying that goes, promises were made to be broken. We live in a world when many people don't keep their word. Whether it's um, marriage vows or promises we make to our children, promises made by politicians, Uh, Many other areas as well, the culture in which we live doesn't seem to take promises and vows and oaths very seriously. A number of years ago, the, the following prayer was prayed by the chaplain of the Kansas State Senate. Omniscient Father, help us to know who is telling the truth. One side tells us one thing and the other side just the opposite. And if neither side is telling us the truth, we would like to know that too. And if each side is telling half the truth, give us the wisdom to put together the right halves. It's a sad reality that a prayer like that would have to be prayed. But it's true that we often don't know who's telling the truth. This is why a passage like this one is so important. As I mentioned to you last Sunday morning, when it comes to marriage, we need to be instructed by the word of God. Not by the culture in which we live, not by social media, not by television or movies. The same is true when it comes to making vows and and keeping our promises and keeping our word. We, We need to be shaped by scripture. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 is a verse that all of us would do well to Take to heart where Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, to the thinking of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so the question we always ask as Christians is not what does the culture say? It's not what does the world, the unbelieving world out there have to say? The question ultimately for us is what does the Bible have to say? And so we're going to ask the question what does the Bible have to say this morning about oaths, about keeping our word? And and as we have been doing throughout this little series on these contrasts, we're going to look at two things. First of all, the rabbi's teaching on oaths, and secondly, Jesus' teaching on oaths. The rabbi's teaching and Jesus' teaching. Now remember, Jesus never speaks against the Old Testament. Jesus never says, well, I know the Old Testament law says this, but that's not really correct. In fact, Jesus says very plainly, if you look back to verse 17, I have not come to abolish the law of God. Jesus does, however, speak against an inadequate or incorrect interpretation of the law. And that's exactly what he does here when it comes to the subject of oaths. Now Jesus begins in verse 33 by, by giving us an accurate summary of what the Old Testament has to say about oaths. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. There are places in the Old Testament where vows are encouraged, where vows are, are spoken of in a positive light. Deuteronomy 10 verse 20 you shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. However, what was not spoken of in a positive light was making a vow and then not keeping it. Promising to do something and then not following through with that promise. Leviticus 19 verse 2 or verse 12 You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. Numbers 30 verse 2. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Deuteronomy 23, verse 21, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. And so when you read your Old Testament, you you find two things about vows. First of all, you have the Old Testament assuming that people would make vows. At times even encouraging people to make vows. Vows. But secondly, you also have the very clear teaching that once you make a vow, you have to keep that vow. Once you make a promise, you need to keep that promise. Now what was so wrong with the rabbis teaching about vows? Why why does Jesus now have to come along and correct what they were teaching about the subject of vows and oaths? Well, what the rabbis were teaching was that there were two kinds of vows. There were non-binding vows, and there were binding vows. And and whether or not a vow was binding depended on what you swore by. The the Mishnah, which is a um, written collection of Jewish oral traditions, the Mishnah dedicated a whole section to a lengthy discussion of what constituted a non-binding versus a binding vow. You see, the Jews had, had developed this elaborate list of rules for, for making oaths and, and making vows. And, and so get this. This is what the rabbis were teaching in this day. If you swore by Jerusalem, your vow wasn't binding. But if you swore toward Jerusalem, your vow was binding. Your vow was binding. If you swore by the temple, your vow wasn't binding. But if you swore by the temple's gold, your vow was binding. If your oath didn't include God's name, or at least imply God's name, your vow wasn't binding. But if you included God's name, or at least implied God's name in your vow, your vow was binding. I mean, it was crazy the, the mental and verbal gymnastics they would do to essentially say, well, I didn't really mean what I said. I didn't really mean that. You, you would choose your words very carefully so that if you had to, you could get out of your vow. It, it would be like someone today crossing their fingers and, and then saying, well, I know I said that, but my fingers were crossed, so it doesn't count. But as one author writes, a mere change of words doesn't give you a get out of oaths free card. And you know, really what Jesus is teaching us here is rooted and grounded in understanding the nature of God. If, if we are going to understand what it means to keep our word and to keep our promises, we have to understand who God is. God is absolute permanent ultimate truth isn't he john 1 14 says that jesus is full of grace and truth john 14 verse 6 jesus says i am the way and the truth and the life in john 16 verse 13 jesus said he would send the spirit of truth to guide us into the truth In John 18, 37, Jesus said he came into the world to bear witness to the truth. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is truth. Titus 1, verse 2 says that God never lies. In fact, all lies are from the devil. Jesus said in John 8, verse 44, that there is no truth in the devil and that he is a liar and the father of lies. Children, you can think all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible. Think all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and the devil comes to Eve. And after she said, "We, we can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because if we do, we will die. Children, do you remember what the devil said to Eve? You will not die. And that was a lie. God, however, is truth. And since we belong to him, we are to be those who love the truth. We are to be people who are true to our word. And and this is why it is imperative in the culture in which we live, when truth is at a minimum, it is imperative that we hear this morning what Jesus has to say about vows and speaking the truth. And so notice Jesus begins by saying in verse 34, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. I don't think that Jesus is saying there that all oaths and all vows are wrong. I don't think he's making an absolute statement about all vows. However, since in that day, oaths no longer really meant anything, since there was this this convoluted formula to determine what was binding and what was non-binding, Jesus condemns the practice of taking an oath lightly. He goes on to say, notice verse 34, Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Remember remember all these rules that they had come up with. If you swore by Jerusalem, non-binding. If you swore toward Jerusalem, binding. If you included God's name, binding. If you didn't include God's name, non-binding. And Jesus' point here is, look, don't you understand that the entire creation belongs to God? And, And you can't refer to any part of creation without ultimately referring to him. That's what Jesus is getting at here. All that we do, we do before God. All in this world belongs to him. Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Exodus 20, verse 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. The point Jesus is making here is it doesn't matter what we swear by. It doesn't matter the... The formula that you use. It doesn't matter the the convoluted way that you twist your words. The point is, whatever we swear by, it refers to God, since he is the creator of all things. If we swear by heaven, we invoke God, because heaven is his throne. If we swear by earth, we invoke God, because earth is his footstool. If we swear by Jerusalem, we invoke God because Jerusalem is the city of the great king. I like what William Barclay has to say here. He says, here is a great eternal truth. Life cannot be divided into compartments in some of which God is involved and in others of which he is not involved. There cannot be one kind of language in the church and another kind of language in the home. There cannot be one kind of standard of conduct in the church and another standard of conduct in the business world. The fact is that God does not need to be invited into certain departments of our lives and kept out of others because he is everywhere all through life and every activity of life. There's a Latin slogan that maybe you've heard of before. It's the slogan Coram Deo. Coram Deo just means before the face of God. In other words, all of life is lived before the face of God. And therefore, all of life is to be taken with the utmost of seriousness, it's like David's question in Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? All that we do, all that we say, all that we think is done in the presence of God. That's the point Jesus is making here. It doesn't matter your formula. It doesn't matter your verbal gymnastics. It doesn't matter if you crossed your fingers. All that we do is done before the face of God. Jesus goes on in verse 36 and he says, Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. You see, in that day, um, people would swear by their heads. In other words, they would say, May I lose my head, may I lose my life if I don't keep my vow? And and Jesus says, don't forget that even God is sovereign over your head. You can't even change the color of one single hair on your head. Only God can do that. You can go to friend's salon here in Ripon. You can go to the store and and buy a do-it-yourself kit. And you can apply certain chemicals to your head. And you can change the color of your head, color of your hair. I can remove the snow on my chin by getting some chemicals and putting those on there. But the point is, is that we cannot change the natural color of our hair. Only God can do that. And so the point that Jesus is making is that whatever you swear by, heaven or earth or Jerusalem or your head, all of it is related to God in some way. And instead of using these verbal gymnastics, instead of this verbal way of crossing your fingers, Jesus concludes this passage by saying in verse 37, let what you say simply be yes or no. What that means is that we should be people who are true to our word. We are to be so faithful to what we say that there is no need to take a vow or an oath. A simple yes or no is sufficient. That's how reliable and trustworthy our word should be. Now this raises a question, and the question is, may we as Christians take oaths today? Jesus seems to say no. And, and that is the position of a lot of Christians, that we are not to take any oaths, we are not to make any vows. This, for example, is the position of the Quakers, that we may not take any civil or religious vows. We may not even take vows in a court of law. And and yet, we've already seen from the Old Testament that there are times when oaths are appropriate. We see the same thing in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 18, verse 18, we are told that Paul was under a vow. In the book of Revelation, chapter 10, we find an angel who has sworn a vow. In addition, we have to remember that, that even our worship includes oaths and vows. Parents, what did you vow at the baptism of your child? At the baptism of your child, you, you were asked this question Do you sincerely promise to do all that you can to teach this child and to have him taught this doctrine of salvation? And you vowed yes. That's a vow that we have taken. That's a vow we are to take very seriously. Baptism is not just some cute little ceremony. It's not, okay, that's done. It's all good now. We are vowing to do all that we can to teach our children the gospel. What about when you stood up in church, whether it was here or some other church, and you made a public profession of your faith in Christ? When you stood up here or when you stood up in another church and you professed your faith in Christ, you were asked a question that would have been similar to this one. Do you declare that you love the Lord, that it is your heartfelt desire to serve him according to his word, to forsake the world, to put to death your old nature, and to lead a godly life? And every one of you, every one of us, who has done that, we vowed, I do. It's a vow we are to take seriously. Young person, children, when you one day make a profession of your faith in Christ, it, it's not the end of the road. It's not like you, know, you, just, you just cross the finish line and the work is done. In a very real sense, when you stand up before God and the church and you publicly profess that Jesus Christ is your savior, it's just the beginning you are making a vow to live according to God's word and to lead a godly life. Or when you were married. When you were married, you said something like this, I I promise to be true to you in good times and in bad, in riches and in poverty, in sickness and in health, and never forsake you as long as we both shall live. Brothers and sisters, those are not just words. Those are not just words that we say. As we said last week, sadly, those are just words for many people. Many people jump into and out of marriage very casually. But our marriage vows, our baptism vows, our profession of faith vows, those vows are made before the very one who made heaven and earth and rules over all things. And, and so it's not oaths and vows in themselves that Jesus is speaking against here. And instead, he's, he's talking about knowing one thing to be true in your heart, but, but actually speaking something different. There are certain places where vows are appropriate. The Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 22 says that oaths are appropriate in matters of weight and moment. In other words, in matters of great significance, a marriage, a a court of law, a baptism, a public profession of faith in Christ. In other cases, our yes should be yes and our no should be no. But whatever the case, we are called to be those who keep our word. Now, why is it that, that we tend to break our promises? Why is it that at times we fail to keep our word? Well, perhaps it's because we've forgotten that we live quorum Deo. We've forgotten that we live before the face of God. We've forgotten that all that we do, all that we say, all that we think, we are doing in the presence of the God who knows everything. A couple days ago, I came across a survey that was taken in England in the year 2018. And people in this survey were asked a a variety of questions about religion and about God. And and one of the statements was this. Agree or disagree, God is unconcerned with my day-to-day decisions. Agree or disagree, God is unconcerned with my day-to-day decisions. 30% of Protestant Christians in England said agree. God is unconcerned with my day-to-day decisions. And that was up 200% from what it was 10 years ago. Now perhaps in England, the the Protestant community has been more affected by the culture than Protestants in our country. I think we could say that Europe is certainly ahead of us in terms of the, the secularization of the church. But that same thinking is creeping slowly into the thinking of the church. God doesn't really care all that much about my day-to-day life. And so how I live, what I do, what I say, it's not really that important to him. The Lord Jesus and the word of God would strongly disagree with that. Everything that you say, everything that I say, we say in the presence of God. And everything that we say as Christians is a reflection on God. And that's because we bear his name. We are God's people. Children, God's mark of ownership was placed upon you when you were baptized. We are his people. All of our speech is under God. Every promise, every vow, every oath is made under God. It's a very weighty, weighty thing to consider. Every time we speak, every time we act, we are representing God. God is a God of absolute truth. And therefore, we are to be people of truth. We are to be people who keep our word. We are to be people whom others can count on. Now what Jesus says here has practical ramifications for every single person in this room. Every single person watching on live stream, every single person sitting in the pew this morning, this applies to every single one of us. You see, there are only two groups of people in the world. There's only two groups of people in this room. There are those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior. And there are those who don't. That's it. There's no third category of people. And so first of all, the words of Jesus here in Matthew five apply to the person who does not believe in Jesus Christ as their savior. If you are here this morning and you do not believe in Jesus, maybe you're just learning about the Christian faith, Maybe you just came here because you were invited. I will say to you, first of all, I'm very glad that you're here. That the Bible has the message that you most need to hear. It's good news. It's great news. It's the message that all of us need to hear. But first of all, you need to hear the bad news. The bad news is that you have broken the promises you have made. You have lied. You have spoken half-truths. You have taken your commitments lightly. And, and, and you do these things because you are, by nature, a sinner who needs the grace of God. And I don't say this to you as, as someone who is perfect. I don't say this to you as someone who is in any way better than you. I say this to you this morning as a fellow sinner who needs grace. Grace. And the good news is that Jesus Christ came to pay the penalty for all of our sins. He died on the cross so that our lives, our half-truths, our rash vows, our broken promises could all be forgiven. You need Jesus. You need the forgiveness that only he can give you. And if this Christianity thing is somewhat new to you and, and you wanna know more about this, Please look for me after the service. I would love to talk to you about the good news that is found in Jesus Christ. Secondly, though, Jesus' words apply to everyone this morning who believes in Jesus as their Savior. We still struggle with sins of the tongue, don't we? We still struggle. Yes, we are forgiven Yes, we stand before God, covered in the righteousness of Christ, but we fall short. And so we need the ongoing, sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And all of us here this morning need to keep running back to Jesus. We need to keep crying out to him in repentance, Lord, my speech has fallen short. I have broken my promises. I have lied. I have not taken my vows seriously. Lord, by the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, help me and give me the strength to remember that all that I do and all that I say is done in your presence. Oh Lord, help me to glorify you with my tongue. How much we need to pray that prayer. And the good news for us is that because God is true, he keeps every one of his promises. He says to us in Matthew 11, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. He says to us in Acts chapter 16, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believer in Christ, you can rely on those promises. You can rest in the one who that he made those promises that he is true, he cannot lie. We may break our word, but he never will. The best of people will disappoint you at times. The best of people will let you down. But God never will. God keeps every one of his promises. When he tells you, Christian, that in Jesus your sins are forgiven, he means it. When he tells you that you are his dearly loved child, he means it. And when he tells you that heaven is waiting for you when you die, he means it. God cannot lie. He cannot and will not break his promises to you. And now as those who are united to him by true faith, May we be people who keep our word. May we be those who take our vows and our oaths seriously because we belong by grace to the one who is absolute truth. If you have been blessed by this podcast and would like to support this ministry, you can find us at www.goodnewsinadarkworld.com. Thank you for listening.